So I was listening to this book called Found the Will of God. And it was so concise yet profound at the same time. And um, I decided that I guess I should share what he came up with. The book is by John MacArthur. Um, so I am going to like highlight his stuff just to give us a different, I think, perspective on how we see like the will of God. Because I think we a lot of times we wonder like what is the will of God's um, plan for me or am I fitting into his will or what do you, how do you, the heck do you get to the whole will and make your life fit into it? And I think he gave like some really good um, points as to how do you do that? Because, you know, we've created... We got questionnaires and, you know, how you find your gift and assessments and books all long and drawn out about the how you use the gift and all that kind of stuff. And I love the way that he just made it really, really simple. And he just stuck to the scriptures. So that's always a little helpful. So it's going to be six steps to discovering the will of God. So I'm going to start with Second Peter 3. And in this chapter, he's talking about the scoffers and the people saying Jesus and coming back and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we're going to jump to verse 14. So it says, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen and for him to come, try hard to live without sinning and be at peace with everyone so that he will be pleased with you when he returns. And remember why he is waiting. He is giving us time to get his message of salvation out to others. Our wise and beloved brother Paul has talked about these things, the same things in many of his letters. Some of his comments are not easy to understand, and they are people who are deliberately stupid and always demand some unusual interpretation. They have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant, just as they do the other parts of the scriptures, and the result is that disastrous for them. I am warning you ahead of time, dear brothers, so that you can watch out and not be carried away by the mistakes of these wicked men, lest you yourselves become mixed up too. But grow in spiritual strength and become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and splendid honor both now and forever. So he wants men to be saved so much that he's willing to withhold his judgment. If we look at second, I mean, first Timothy, sorry, chapter two, four through seven. And he says he wants not only us, but everyone saved, you know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned that there's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and, and us, Jesus who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. So God's will, firstly, is for all of us to be saved. If you have not taken the steps to be saved, then God has no obligation to reveal his will for your life. You haven't even taken the first step to be in his will. You want more information on what God desires for you. The first thing you have to do is get saved. So you have people like that are not saved and they, you know, I wonder what God wants for me and all that kind of stuff in a nice spiritual supposedly tone. But if you haven't done the first thing, which is salvation, then you can't really chide God for not giving you some extra specifics. So John 10 and 4, it says, you know, the sheep know my sh the shepherd's voice. Without Christ, man is a stranger to God. You don't know his voice until you make him your Lord and Savior. So Mark 3 and 31. So just then his mother and brother showed up standing outside. They re relayed a message that they wanted a word with him. He was surrounded by the crowd when he was given the message. Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus responded, who do you think are my mother and brothers? Looking around, taking in everyone seated around him, he said, right here, right in front of you are my mother and my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will 
is my brother and sister and mother. So to do the will of God, one has to be related to Jesus. Mark 16, 15 through 16. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There is only one who can grant eternal life, and that is God. God came in the form of Jesus to save us. The will of God is that you know Christ and that you tell others about Christ. We want so desperately to know the will of God, but we know this for sure and often fail to do that. All we have to do is open our mouth and witness. So work with what you do know about God's will right now for you, and then you can kind of wait for the other stuff to come to you. So step one is simply be saved. We all kind of did that. Praise God. Step two, um, or to make the church folks more happy, we'll make this step one B. Don't want nobody to be upset. One B, you know, I just add to it. He has it to step two, but we'll say one B, be spirit-filled. Because we want to call folks saved if they ain't spirit-filled, right? Because that's the wrong lingo. Acts 2 and 38. And Peter replied, each one of you must turn from sin, return to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you also shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if saved and filled with the Spirit, and you still don't know the will of God, then you're not really lost or searching. You are, and we're going to read, because I don't want to call you this. I'll just let the scripture speak for itself. Let's read Ephesians 5 and 15. It says, so be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fools. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to find out and do whatever the Lord wants you to. Don't drink too much wine, for many evils lie along that path. Be filled instead with the Holy Spirit and be controlled by him. Talk with each other much about the Lord, quoting psalms and hymns and singing sacred songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks for everything to our God and Father in the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ. So if you are saved, spirit-filled, and you don't know the will of God, here he's saying that you're kind of a fool, meaning unwise. Because it's right here for what you need to do to find the will of God. If you just haven't really read it, if you're still searching. That's all he's saying. So we believe when we receive the Spirit, you have the sign of speaking in tongues. And we, that speak in tongues can sometimes get our, you know, a bit of a high horse and forget that being controlled by the Spirit is very different than being filled with the Spirit. And we kind of get the two mixed up or we don't acknowledge the control part but we love the field part right the spirit is so much more than tongues the spirit is the life-giving force the spirit leads and guides you into all truth and we often find ourselves asking for what we already have because we are unwise to what the spirit is so let's like a look at what we have and some of the things that we often can sometimes ask for. So sometimes we say, Lord, can you give me more love? Teach me how to love folks. Because we struggle with that. Romans 5 and 5. It says, then when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well. For we know how dearly God loves us. And we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So if you have his spirit, your heart is completely filled with his love. Either he feels completely or he's a half kind of God. So you don't really need to ask for love. You just need to exercise the love that he already gave you. So you don't need more love. You need to have faith in the fact that he gave you all the love you really need. Your heart has already been filled to capacity via the Holy Spirit with his love. 
So why are we hateful and unloving? I don't know. Maybe we should check how much spirit we got. Then we say, Lord, grant me more grace. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And he simply said, my grace is enough. It is all you need. You don't need any more. He gave you all you need. From him, directly. Then we say, give me more strength. We love praying my strength in the Lord. Philippians 4 and 13. For I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength and power. If we go back to the second half of 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my strength comes into its own in your weaknesses. So my strength is made in another version. My strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. How many weaknesses you got? That's how much perfect strength you got. You don't really need to keep asking for that. And then we ask for more power. We love power. Lord, give me more power. Send your power, Lord. Holy Ghost power. Acts 1 and 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes to you. Then you will be my witnesses to testify about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Either we believe we're complete, and he did the job completely when he granted it, or I don't know what kind of God we're serving. Maybe, you know, he just delves out just half measures. I don't know. So let's see. If we're completing him, then we're completing him. Colossians 2 and 8. A few scriptures just to kind of make the points. It says, don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. For in Christ, there is all of God in the human body. So you have everything when you have Christ and you are filled with God through your union with Christ he is the highest ruler with authority over every other power. You have everything when you got it. Second Peter 1 and 3. And like we said earlier, he's the ruler over every power. He is running the show completely. Second Peter 1 and 3. For as you know him better... He will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. There's no reason why we should be jumping around like we don't know what we're doing. So he's not only gives us his spirit, then he amplifies that spirit and gives us his love. And then he adds his grace to capacity and then he adds his strength and then he adds his power and then everything we need is added. And on top of that, he shares his glory and goodness with us. What we begging for? But if you still feel unsure about God's will for you after salvation, because this is what all that is what salvation gives you. When you got salvation, you got all that good stuff. But then he says in James 1 and 5, if any of you need wisdom to know what you should do, you should ask God and he will give it to you. God is generous to everyone and doesn't find fault with them. When you ask for something, don't have any doubts. And this is where we mess up. A person who has doubt is like a wave that is blown by the wind and tossed by the sea. A person who has doubt shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
a person who has doubts is thinking about two different things at the same time and can't make up his mind about anything. So because we live in all these doubts, we can't expect the Lord to do anything with us because we've tied his hands. So you're praying for all this stuff, but you doubt that it's real. You doubt that he even really saved you. Cause if you believed he saved you, you would know you have all that stuff already in you. So power comes from the word dunamis where we get dynamite. So in essence, we are all walking dynamite because you choose not to light your dynamite doesn't mean that you don't have the dynamite in you. You are filled with the spirit, but we often do not release the power of the spirit. You have to let him fill your life. You have to give him permission to permeate throughout. We keep denying the power we have. We cannot be effective if we don't let the spirit use us. To find your gift, look back over your life and see the times you let the spirit take control of your life. If you've ever done that. <laughs> if you've never done that, then you need to enter into that. But if you have done that, then look about what did you do? How did you affect others' life? What came through you where you were like, I know that wasn't me. I know God sent me here. I know God moved me to do that. That's where your gift is. It's really not that hard to figure out. But for your gift to be able to operate, you have to be spirit controlled and spirit led. You can't do it yourself. Otherwise, it's not the gift from God. It's just your made up stuff. And then we wonder why we're so ineffective. We're ineffective because we're not working in God's power. We're working in our own. And our own power is extremely limited. So when the spirit leads you, your gifts will automatically work through you. It's not brain surgery and you don't need permission from others. Living a spirit-filled life is living in consciousness that Jesus is always next to you. And if you think about like the power that the apostles had to feel when they were doing stuff alongside with Jesus, when they were walking with him and he was healing people and he was picking people up and he was changing lives, that's the same power you have. But you have to be able to envision the fact that Jesus is right next to you. Every step you take, every move you make, he is right there. And you have to stay conscious of that. You have to constantly say, God, what am I supposed to do next? Where are you taking me? Where am I leading? Show me the way. Because if you're not asking, he can't give you the answers. So step one, be saved. Step two have the spirit step three purity first Thessalonians 4 and 3 for God wants you to be holy and pure to keep clear of all sexual sin so that each of you will marry in holiness and honor not in lustful passions as the heathen do and their ignorance of God and his way I just got to say this on that scripture because we love to quote it's better to marry than to burn we just rushes people down to the altar, marrying folks they should never have married because they had sex with them. Here it says, don't do what the heathen does because you're ignorant of God and his ways. So if you, because you can't keep your skirt down and your pants up, uh, and you run off to get married, you were heathen. That's what you're acting like. You don't know God and you don't know his ways because you would then know that you need to learn how to have self-control and keep yourself. Getting married ain't the answer. That's a whole side note, but I just thought I'd say that. Um, <laughs> and amazing we don't never read that. So verse 6. And this also is God's will, that you never cheat in this matter by taking another man's wife, because the Lord will punish you terribly for this, as we have solemnly told you before. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean. If anyone refuses to live by these rules, he is not disobeying the rules of men, but of God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But concerning the pure brotherly love that there should be among God's people, I don't need to say very much, I'm sure, for God himself is teaching you to love one another. He was confident in the fact that when you got your spirit, the love of God was shed abroad in your heart 
and you became full of love. We don't even have to talk about it because you already have it and know how to do it. Now, I don't know if I would have said that <laughs> in what I see in folks. I would be like, we maybe need to discuss you loving folks because I don't see it acting out. But he was so trusting that you got the spirit and you got you're going to be full of love and you're going to just show it. We don't even have to talk about it. So the inner man, the heart needs to stay pure. We can't expect God to use us and have us on display when we are living raggedy lives. This has nothing to do with forgiveness of sins. It's not that he won't forgive your sins, but he can't really be using you and putting you up to do his work when you're raggedy. You just can't expect that and then say, Jesus is not telling me. Well, you, because you're terrible right now. Clean up some. Then he can use you. Deciding that I want to live to the very best of my abilities in the will of God is where we have to get the will that he has clearly told us about is that he wants purity. He wants us to be clean. He wants our hearts to be pure. He wants us to act from the right place. Not just do things just because they look good. He wants you really to be clean. And he believes he's given you the ability to do that. Now, the, the we, do we do it? I, sometimes we're trying to get a clean heart. I think we need to maybe pray a little more often, Lord, give me that clean heart. Take out the filth in me and give me something more pure. But I think sometimes we see ourselves as more pure than what we are. I think we have to take the Jesus vision of pure and say, do I have that? Because he will show you, if you really get on that, like I really want to be right, he will show you when you do things that are just a little foul. Not overly terrible or, you know, oh my goodness, but just, I didn't want you to do that today. And you might have been able to do it yesterday. But right now, today, that's not what I had in mind for us today. So I'm going to tap you and say, don't do that today. And then go on and ask for my forgiveness. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to get back on track. But this is the stuff I'm talking about. Or why you got to get yourself together. And stay in connection with me so that I can simply just tap you. Because, see, if you realize that he's right here next to you, he don't have to yell across the field to get you. He should be able just, honey, that don't be doing that. Stop it. I didn't like it. And then you have to have enough faith and boldness to say, you know what, Jesus, you're so right. If that just made you just have a little a little squirt on your face and just said, mm, then I don't want to do that. If, if you didn't even get mad, you just was like, really? I don't want you to feel that way either. I would prefer for you to stay happy face with me. So if that made you just squint a little, turn your head, do a little SMH, then we should not be doing it. And you should be close enough to God for him to say, don't do it. And you should be quickly to say, Lord, I forgive me. I give you that. That was wrong. And then you go on about your business with him. You don't have to stay there groveling, begging five or six times with well, Lord, you sure you forgave me? But then you don't believe in what he's saying. He said, if you confess, I'm going to cleanse. We're going to move on. And after it, into the sea of forgiveness and it's over. Let's get on to the business at hand. That's how it works. Constant flow. Constant moving. Stay in connection. Then you stay pure. Number four. Did we get into this quickly? Submission. Jesus, are you asking that? Oh. We can even do the first three. That submission thing. Are you serious? This is required for me to find the will of Jesus? <sighs> Ephesians 5 and 21. Honor Christ by submitting to each other. It's amazing how that 21 often is not quoted. We jump down to wives submit to your husband. We talk about, you know, the children submit. And we talk about us submitting to the, to the bosses and the, and the masters and the slaves. But we never just sit on submit to one another. I'm supposed to submit to you. You're supposed to submit to me. That's everybody. 
That's, that's me submitting sometimes to my kids. That's my kids submitting to me. That's me submitting to the husband, the husband submitting to me. This is the, if we was all living for the Jesus, that's, that's me doing what the boss asked. That's the boss sometimes submitting to me. It's a process of that. It's a constant give and take. It's a constant, you know what, let me, let me humble myself for you. And you humble yourself for me. It's not really all that difficult. Well, it wasn't supposed to be. It has become difficult, though, because folks got bad intentions. So then we start guessing, and, and oh, my goodness, and we start feeling nervous and scared, and you want me to submit to that? And then it becomes, you know, a fight. But I'm just talking about what Jesus said, about what we're supposed to do to get to his will, and he said that we got to submit one to another. Now, y'all got to work out individually what that looked like for you because I'm not going to get in nobody's business. Well, maybe a little bit, but I'm just saying. So 1 Peter 2, 15, because we probably need a couple of scriptures on the submitting part. Okay. It is God's will that your good life should silence those who foolishly condemn the gospel without knowing what it can do for them, having never experienced this power. You are free from the law, but that doesn't mean you are free to do wrong. Live as those who are free to do only God's will at all times. In this chapter, the first Peter two, he goes into respecting your master boss government. Lord help me with the government, each other in regards to doing your job. Um, and he even goes into, even if they, they dumb and ridiculous, my words, not his, but all of that, he gives you even stuff. Well, what if they do this? What you're supposed to submit anyway. <sighs> because in this, you're supposed to be showing forth something about Jesus and his submission and his willingness to take it. It's not about you. It's about him. And we got to pray really hard on this one. Really hard. Because I had to tell him why I read that. Well, Lord, I'm not there yet on some of these. Not fully. And I'm going to try to get there because if that's what you want, but I'm not there. And then he goes into you're not supposed to be hating folks and you're not supposed to be jealous and all that other stuff that's in there, y'all can read the whole thing because I figured I, I, I read enough. But I do want you to go and read the whole thing because that's required in being in his will. You cannot, we can't just live the way we want to live. As much as it makes sense to us. We don't have the right to say, I get to do what I want to do. I get to act the way I want to act. We're living under as God, as our master, and he gets to control what we do. Submission. It's a really big deal. Because the part of it is humility. If Christ humbled himself and became a man for our sins, surely we can humble ourselves to each other. The big ego stuff is of Satan. That's why he got kicked out. Because of that doggone ego of his. So when you are working on ego and grandeur, you're two-stepping with Satan. Period. We got to be like Christ, humble and submitting. But the ultimate person we have to submit to is Christ. The Savior has to become your Lord. So is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Savior, defined as a person who saves, rescues, or delivers. Lord, defined as a person who has authority, control, or power over others, a master, a chief, or a ruler. It's easy to let someone save you when you know you need to be saved. You drown and somebody, you going to willingly grab that hand and say, lift me up because I'm in a hot mess. Right? It's a totally different relationship when you give someone authority, control, and power over you. The surrender that is needed to allow God to have that power over you is tremendous. It's a constant surrender. It's every time you feel like you bucking, you surrender. It's every time you be like, I don't agree with you, Jesus, you submit. 
That's a totally different relationship than just save me. This is why faith and trust must be talked about and we must confess when we lack trust and faith. Jesus requires us to allow him to become our Lord. We must gladly surrender ourselves to him in belief that he will take amazing loving care of us. So we need to pray and ask God, now that you've saved me, help me let you be my Lord. He don't want to just be your savior. He came to do more. So step five is suffering and service to others. To be in the will of God, suffering is going to trail behind you or maybe make the path in front of you. Uh, Luke 9 and 57. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever he said. And Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best of ends, you know. And in another translation, it says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Pretty much was saying, are you willing to be homeless with me? You going to sleep on the streets with me? That's how much you want to follow me? You don't need nothing fancy? You know we ain't signing up for that. We want a house, a car, a new car every five years, a bigger house every ten years, the latest purses, shoes, watches. We want it all. He said, are you willing to be homeless with me? Jesus said to another, follow me. He said, certainly, but first excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. He's saying, listen, your family and your matters don't matter. I'm, I got the greatest business there ever is. And my business is about life and saving people. Put your junk aside. I mean, this is the man's daddy. You're telling the man not to go plan his daddy's funeral? You couldn't give me a couple of days, Jesus, just to put the man to rest. He told the man no. I mean, think about it on a very human basic level of me coming. Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, yeah, I like what you're saying. Could you just give me two days so I can, my daddy died and I need to take care of business. And then Jesus would come back and say, no. Well, if you really wanted to follow me, you would, you would put that aside. Your daddy's death don't mean that much to me. Dang, really, Jesus? I mean, I thought you loved this goodness. <laughs> so now you're telling me I need to be homeless with you. At least be willing to be homeless. Then you're telling me don't even care about my family affairs. Then another came. I'm ready to follow you, master. But first, excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. And Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. This was probably a man who had a wife and some kids. Can I at least go tell my wife, I'm about to follow Jesus for a little bit. Baby, you got it together. Maybe give her a little couple of coins. Make sure she got some food now. He said, I, you don't have time for that. If you're going to come with me, you're going to come with me now. And you're going, the wife's going to have to figure it out, I guess. Maybe we can send word that you left her. For me. That's what Jesus just told the man. And we think that he's, he's giving us all the extras. He's supposed to give us a place to live and a house and a job and a car. And a husband and a wife and some babies. And he said, I don't care about that. If you say you're going to follow me and you're so ready. Because you came to me, Remember? Then leave all that stuff behind. I had to laugh at this. I said, that Jesus was something else. Could you imagine telling somebody that? Or you would be like, maybe that's why everybody ain't following you. Because you're a little, you know. Uh, I mean, right? Just as regular people, you would be like, I, I'm not going. If this is what it requires for me to go with you, I'm not going to not go bury my dad. 
I'm going to bury my dad. And if that makes you say you don't want me, well, then, okay, Jesus, I'm going to have to keep going. You telling me I can't go take care of my babies and, and, and my wife? That's what's required? And I got to be willing to sleep on the ground? I mean, you the guy. You can't come up with some coins for us, <laughs> for us to go somewhere to lay down? So, like, I mean, how did we get a vision of getting everything we want and all of this when he clearly says in his word, I'm not into that business? 1 Peter 4 and 12. Mm-mm-mm. Dear friends, don't be bewildered or surprised when you get through the fiery trials ahead. When you go through, excuse me, the fiery trials ahead. For this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. Instead, be really glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterwards, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory in that coming day when it will be displayed. Be happy if you were cursed and insulted for being a Christian. For when that happens, the spirit of God will come upon you with great glory. The problem is we're not being cursed because we're Christians. We're being cursed because we other things. We just like to say that they're just against Jesus. They don't even see Jesus in you. So they're not even against him. That's just you. It says, don't let... Let me hear of your suffering. See, this is what he's talking about for murdering or stealing or making trouble or being a busybody and prying to other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being in the crisis family and being called by his wonderful name. For the time has come for judgment and it must begin first among God's own children. Kind of like we said to this earlier. He's starting with us. This book is about us getting it together. This is where the judgment is on us. We keep taking the judgment outside. He's trying to get us together. So when we say don't, and I'm judging you because you said you were with Christ. Right? That's what he said. Judgment is here with my people. Not the people up there. We need to make more sermons about us. Instead of about everybody else. It's just, it's, just, it's just a small sermon for those that are not with Jesus. This is the gospel plan. He died for you. He loves you. You can be saved if you follow his way. Let's get baptized. He's going to fill you with the spirit. Now let's get the walk going. This is what we talking about. We got like a hundred sermons about getting the folks. And we falling by the wayside. Sorry. We're going to start with 17 again. For the time has come for judgment, and it must first begin among God's own children. Even if we who are Christians must be judged, what terrible fight awaits those who have never believed in the Lord? If the righteous are barely saved, what chance will the godless have? So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to, to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. The question is, are you in the will? You've been saved. You've been spirit-filled. Now, are you you submitting? Are you pure? And are you willing to suffer? Because that's his will right there. Before we jump to anything else, glorious and magical and woo-hoo-hoo, and we sitting on the, on the billboard, have you done those? We checking a whole lot of marks, but are we checking those marks? First Peter 3 and 16. Again, do what is right. Then if men speak against you, calling you evil names, they will become ashamed of themselves for falsely accusing you when you have only done what is good. Remember, if God wants you to suffer... It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing wrong. So if he wants you to suffer, because that's going to get you close to him, and that's going to teach you obedience, so it's a great chance he wants us to suffer. Let it be for good. Don't let him have to drop the ball of judgment on you because you keep acting a fool. 
at least you know if you're doing it for good, you're going to reign with them. You're going to get the glory from them. The other side, you may be burning. 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Yes, and those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those who hate him. 1 Peter 5 and 10. I know I got a lot. It says, after you have suffered a little while, our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, will give you his eternal glory. He personally will come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. To him be all power over all things forever and ever. You got to be willing to suffer. Evangelism is living a godly life in the face of the world. Evangelism is not you passing out tracts. It's not you even inviting folks to church. Evangelism is you living out the will of God in your life and letting other people see it. That's how you win people. So they come and ask you. You're a little different. Like what you're doing. Who you serving. Will you suffer for the sake of Christ? We want God to do good things for us, but we don't want to suffer for Christ's sake. Because we have made Christianity so weak and passive. We have tucked tail so much. We're just a bunch of little weaklings when it comes to standing up for anything. We maybe can stand on Jesus' name, speaking in tongues, but living out the gospel and really doing these scriptures, we get really weak. We can stand, you do this, you do that, but we're talking about submitting and suffering, serving. We like that ain't a requirement. The only requirement is me getting saved. And then I'm going to get to heaven when I stop doing these few little things. It's just not in the book. We got to go what the book tells us to. When standing on the uh, fullness of the scriptures, we get weak if others don't agree. If I start, somebody starts saying, well, I don't believe that. I don't think that's what you got to do. But that's what the scripture said. Then we get to, well, I don't know. When we start challenging people with the, with the exact simpleness of the scripture and it goes up against tradition or it starts challenging the old way of philosophies, we back down again. We get weak and we're like, oh, I don't want to be seeming like a rebel. But wasn't Jesus a little radical? I mean, didn't he go flip tables? We ain't flipped it. Who's, who's flipped the table at the church before? Ain't nobody flipping tables. Probably almost every church need a table flipped. Now think about it. Why did he flip the tables? It was about merchandising the people. It was, it, you know, it was, you know, these churches need some tables flipped. Who going to flip it? Nobody. We just going to say, oh, they sure need to flip the table. Nothing wrong with flipping tables. Nothing wrong with saying what we've been doing ain't working. Ain't nothing wrong with saying we got to follow the book the way the book said it. And everything else that's not in the book, we get to say it's not in the book. You can do it. You can stand on it. But don't say that it's in the book. Don't say this is what Jesus said. Don't tell me this is the requirement for salvation when this is not the requirement. I need to do this with he. I, I'm having a tough time with the requirements. I'm going to need you not to add to the list. Because as human nature, we're going to go the easy route. It's easier to do man-made qualities. That's why he said before, don't let nobody spoil your faith. With these made-up philosophies, these traditions of men. He was talking to the people that was a part of the church. He was not talking about people out there. He was talking to church. Stop making up stuff. Stop creating rules and stuff that I never, ever said you had to stick with. You're watering down people's faith when you do that. 
You're making Jesus small that fits in your little box and you're messing up the message. This is huge. How many people have left God because of people's traditions? How many people have walked away from churches because of philosophies? It's not because of the book. It's not because we show someone a scripture and said, this is how you have to live. It's because of the made up stuff. He said, don't let them do that to you. It's interesting because the writings in the Bible push you to be very courageous. They push you not to fall back and fall for the, the, the status quo. He's constantly pushing them. Don't fall for stuff. Wake up. Open your eyes. I didn't teach you that. That is not from Jesus. If somebody told you that, don't believe him. He said, curse him. Didn't he say that? Did, did, okay. We who we cursed. We ain't done none of that. We just, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would, he would just pray for him. Right? What would Jesus do? Let's take a fast day. Let's have a prayer meeting. That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus say, would say, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're a viper. You're a thief. Your father, Satan. That's what he would say. You're not my child. But if we do that, we're called not Christian. Now, how did the devil slip in, twist the words of God, and we fall for it when we have God's spirit? How did that happen? How did we get that load to sleep? What we have to do is become radical. And when you become radical, you will suffer for Jesus. We can see how much in the will of God we are in by how much we suffer for him. If your suffering is kind of small, you may have some work to do. You may have some stuff you need to pull up on. A little more submitting, a little more letting the spirit guide you and control you. A little more willing to suffer for him, willingly. Then you can say, oh, I'm in the will of God. Well, this is what God wanted for me. Hmm. So the last step. If you're doing all five of the basic things, then the will of God is for you to do whatever you want. How radical is that? If these five elements are running your life, then who is running your wants and your desires? God is. Have at it. If you got this together, you're not going to step out the wheel. And you get to do whatever desire you want. Psalms 37 and 4. Be delighted with the Lord, then he will give you all the heart's desires. Now, we can look at this, this one sentence in two ways. He will give you the actual desires that are in your heart. And then he will provide you with the desires in your heart. Two different things, right? But he's going to place the right desires in you. So God's desires become your desires and he's going to give you his desires. But we read this and we thought, well, I didn't came to church. I didn't got saved. I love Jesus. I'm trying to live for him. Why haven't I gotten the desires of my heart? You said anything I asked for in the name, you would give it to me. But he said, according to my will. Not anything you asked for. Anything that's according to my will, I'm going to give it to you. But you see what happens if you just leave out a little part. The according to my will. We've quoted that scripture so many times without that element that people now believe. Well, I didn't ask for it in Jesus' name. Give me that Mercedes. Well, where'd the car at? I said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I want this. In Jesus' name, I want that. Well, that ain't according to God's will. 
because he didn't care about being homeless. And he said, if you won't follow him, you should be willing to be homeless with me. So in my will, I don't really care about what you drive. I don't care how many times people want to flip it and act like God cares about what you drive. He don't care. He's not impressed. He don't care that much where you live. Because if he said, I don't have a place to live. I don't even have a place to lay my head. You think he got to give you a mansion with 20 rooms? You need a house with all this extras? And if you don't get it, then God didn't, he didn't, he didn't let me down. God want us to look good. He said we should prosper. He don't care about that kind of prospering. I don't care how many times people want to scream it and yell it. We ain't supposed to be broke. We ain't, well, why didn't Jesus give himself all of that? There were rich people in his time. And then why didn't he lay it out for all his apostles? Why weren't they just, you know, riding on the best stuff? Why were they sleeping from pillar to post? Who would take me in? Why didn't he just set them up? Because if that's the will of God in every city they went to, because they was doing it for him, him solely. I mean, they was really sold out, way more than we sold out. Why did he make sure they just had a little spot everywhere they went? With somebody just handing them some keys every time they came in? Making sure they had some good donkeys or horses or whatever. Why did they worry about that? Why were they begging? Thank you for, for, for sending me a little money to take care of me. I love the way you're taking care of this brother Timothy. Why did he have to do all that if that was the mind of God to say this means you're in my will? It's foolishness and it's against the word of God. And we got to break out of that thinking. We got to stop thinking if we don't have cash and riches and even just the simple things sometimes that that means God is not on your side. It doesn't mean that. You think Jesus wasn't hungry a couple of days? You think them apostles sometimes didn't eat a full, a full days of food? So follow the instructions. We try God for not giving us our desires, but we never delighted ourselves with him. You choosing salvation is simply step one. It takes work to find delight in God. It takes surrender and wisdom to let God have control over you. It takes work to find a God who is friends with suffering and willingly shares it with his friends to say he's delightful. We don't delight in suffering. It kind of goes against our core. So for me to say... I delight in the Lord. That means I've got to delight somewhat in suffering. So can you really say you, you have found delight in the Lord? Something we got to work on a little bit. It's all right with that. You want your life to show forth God and you want your life to give God glory. Then get in the mainstream of what he's doing. And he will lead you where you need to go. Keep moving and watch God send and steer you where you need to go. Stop waiting for some miraculous thing to fall out the sky to say, oh, this is what you got to do. Just get to moving. Just do something. If you feel an inkling that this is maybe Jesus, just do it. Forget everything else. Move. It's a current. As things start moving, it gets a little more motion. It looks a little better. We can get it together more. He can't move, use nobody that's just stagnant. Scared to move their feet. Be willing to blunder. Be willing to make a mistake. Be willing to get it wrong. But at least you're doing it. Like I said earlier, you may run into a lot of closed doors. Let the closed doors lead you to the open ones. Stop feeling so rejected. You can't be scared and all extra sensitive and all insecure with Jesus. You got to buck up and do the right thing. Because he wasn't all nice and sweet and passive. He was harsh with his words sometimes. He came hard. He came direct. That's how he treats us. The apostles had a lot of closed doors and spreading the gospel, but they kept it moving. The will of God is not for you to go there or work here. The will of God is about you, the person. If you are the right you, you can follow your desires and you will fulfill his will. Become the right you. Everything else. Don't look for the will. Just do the right thing. Last scripture. 
Romans 12 and 1. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Use the life you have. Stop looking for something big and, and amazing and bold. Use what you got. You're going to work every day. You're seeing people every day. You're affecting people's lives every day. Use that. And that's enough. It's big. If we really believe that each person is ma matters, and God is happy with each person that chooses him, and you have a part in that, that's huge. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. Dear brothers, warn those who are lazy, comfort those who are frightened, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to everyone else. Always be joyful. Always keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belongs to Christ Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting how we would say, well, this is all he wants? You just want me to be thankful and happy and, and joyful and always praying and treating folks good. That's your will? But I thought I was, that's though. We, we want it to be more spectacular than what it really is. Going to verse 19. Do not smother the Holy Ghost. Do not scoff at those who prophesy. But test everything that is said to be sure it is true. And if it is, then accept it. We stop testing stuff. And we just accept it as this truth. Keep away from every kind of evil. Because that evil jumps on you. So when you see evil and you see mean, keep away from it. Don't go entertaining it. If you know folks is evil, don't be sitting down with them trying to have lunch and crumpets and carrying no one. Get away from them. May the God of peace himself make you entirely pure and devoted to God. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept strong and blameless until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. God who called you to become his child will do all this for you just as he promised. He's doing it for you. You don't have to do nothing but really submit to it. Last one. 1 John 2 and 15. It's the will of God. He says, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They're not from God. I don't get to buy what I want. That's not me being blessed. That don't, that's the favor ain't fair thing. But he said these things are not from God. And it says that you really don't love God when these are your desires. See, we love to throw out the craze for sex. Oh, okay, we know we got to let that go. No, we love sex, but we got to let that go. But the ambition to buy everything, that even if you're not buying it, the fact that you feel bad that you can't buy it, the fact that you feel left out because God didn't give you stuff, and you can't get everything everybody else has, 
He said that that means you don't love him. In oh. the pride that comes from wealth, you think you better because you got some coins. You think because people have a bunch of coins that they're better. And you put them on a higher scale than the man that's on the street. And you say they got clout and they got influence. He said it didn't come from him. They are from this evil world itself. And this world is fading fast. And this evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. Do you want to live forever? On the good side. But you get to live forever no matter what. But do you want to live forever on the good side with Jesus? Or do you ever want to be down here with the evil worldly folks? You can't have both. We can't sidestep and say this is Jesus, this is blessed, this is favor. When he said that this stuff is not of me. He is using every resource he has to shape us into his will so he can get all the glory.